welcome to Rewards HR Excellence podcast. I'm here with Darren Leverty from Second Sight, who is the author of Make Their Money Count, How to Run an Effective Workplace Financial Education Program and Employer's Guide. Hi, Darren. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Um, so I guess we can start by talking about financial well-being because it's such a huge topic, a lot of different people love to bring it up and people are just very kind of interested in how to provide for their employees in that way. So why do you think um, financial well-being has become such a huge topic? Yeah, I suppose over the last 10 years or so, we've seen quite a significant amount of changes. So we've seen things like uh, automatic enrolment to pensions be introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen new legislation on pensions being introduced that means people are restricted in how much they can pay and they can access their money early and more flexibly, the, the whole pensions freedom. Um, we had the debt crisis, which kind of triggered the financial crisis back in sort of, 2008. Um, but in the last year and a half, we've seen unskilled debt um, probably almost double. You know, people are more confident again, they're sort of borrowing again, which mm-hmm. is worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a new generation of people coming into the workforce who... Yeah. Um, have had this, the first three years of the new tuition fees at the level they are, and, and we're seeing um, a whole new regime where people who enter the workforce with sort of fifty thousand pounds of debt. Yeah, and, and and that's at a time when they're trying to get on the property ladder, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's making it very difficult. And and, and the backdrop to all of that has been um, because of austerity and because of recession, we've seen very subdued pay rises, mm. and and we've seen the cost of living increase. And what, mm-hmm. what that's kind of doing. Is, is, is squeezing people so people mm-hmm. are feeling the pinch mm-hmm. and they need to make the most of their money continuously and, and so so what we're noticing is that stress has started to build yeah and the, the ultimate thing is we want people to feel financially free mm-hmm. and um, I think there's a lot of pressure on people to get to financial freedom which is a point where you've got enough money not to have to think about money yeah but that means that between now and then do they have to be miserable? Do they have to feel stressed? I don't think yeah. they have to. No. And I think we need to help people to feel financially free every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ways we can do that is to give them control. Mm-hmm. And if people feel in control of their finances, then they don't feel so stressed. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be you know, in control of every single part of your finances. But if you're in control of most of it, most of the time, then you can deal with those little shocks that come along. Mm-hmm. And for employers, this is really useful because what they don't need is people in the workplace sitting there suffering in silence mm. because financial stress is a, it's a taboo subject. People don't like to talk about it, but it will impact on their work. Mm. And so what I've seen is it's, it's, it's sort of reached a point now where employers have decided that actually educating employees and helping them uh, with their financial planning, with their finances and managing their debt and all those sorts of things, if they can do that and remove that amount of stress for them and control that stress, give them that sense of financial freedom, it's good for business. Yeah. It's good for business because they can be more innovative and they can be more creative and, and they can be more productive. But it's very difficult for employees to be, be all of those sorts of things if when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they think about is, is money worries. Mm-hmm. And that short-term debt and, and, and management of money worries, and then long-term certainty is also a big worry for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. 
if we go back, you know, go back 30 years ago, mm-hmm. um, there was lots of people out in, in the industry who were d- providing the education. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, you, you're too young to remember, but there was <laughs> the, the man from the Prudential, the man from the Pru, or that type of a life insurance agent. There was about 300,000 of them. And mm-hmm. what they did, they used to go out and about into society, into clubs and communities and villages, and they used to encourage people to save money yeah. and encourage them to insure themselves. And, yeah. and that in itself wasn't really a bad thing. Yeah, that was an anecdote I did read in the book, and I was like, wow, that would have been very helpful uh, while I was growing up if I had had that. Yeah, it, it was. I, mean, it, it, I, I mentioned in the book, actually, it was mm-hmm. a story about a guy I met called Stuart. He was 19. I was 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. I just started out. Didn't really know what I was doing, to be fair, but I was pretty good at persuading people, and that was the, that's the magic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no persuaders left. Yeah. And, and what, what he did is at 19, I, I, I suggested he started a savings plan. Mm-hmm. And savings plan was so that later in life, when he might need a buffer, mm-hmm. when maybe he's got more expensive life with kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, he's got that that cushion there. And anyway, he started to save, and ten years later, the thing paid out. And yeah. I was really embarrassed because he paid out less money than he paid him. Yeah. And I apologised profusely. And he turned around and said to me, Darren, look, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. He said, look, in the last 10 years, you've got me into the habit of saving. You caught me at a young age. Mm-hmm. And now I've got other savings and investments and pensions. And I've got two properties and one I let out. Mm. And that by this point, he wasn't even 30. No. Now the guy's That's 47. Yeah. He's never earned a lot of money and he's never um, made it big in business. But mm-hmm. at age 47, he's comfortably retired. Yeah. And that's all down to the fact that when he was 19, somebody educated him. Yeah, yeah. me. So I think there's a, a lot of, you know, I think they threw the baby up the bathwater when the regulators came along and they, they, they reduced the industry from 300,000 people to about 13,000 that can actually help people save. Mm. And, and, and they only work up market because the regulations are so onerous and, and so there's a whole lost generation of people that have never been educated. It's only starting to come back into schools now and employers are starting to see the commercial benefits of doing it as well. Okay. Um, so... Darren, let's talk more about Make Their Money Count. Um, so do you want to just give us, like, give our listeners uh, an outline of what your book covers and how employers can use it to kind of build on creating a good financial education program? Yeah, okay. So I suppose, I mean, I've been doing this business in this business for 28 years now. Mm-hmm. And the last 15 or 16 years in the, in the employee benefit side of things, mm-hmm. Um, where what we used to do there was we just used to communicate benefits packages. And I, th- I think we did it quite well. You mm-hmm. know, got plenty of awards for it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last two or three years, it's been really focused on much broader financial education rather than just um, employee benefits. Mm-hmm. Now, the, 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 you know, you work with the, with the pair of the, the, the things. But, and I think a lot of people in my industry, even though they're really well-meaning and they're really uh, well-educated, mm-hmm. um, really bright and really well-experienced, um, what frustrates me is they just do not see the importance of understanding how to deliver this stuff. Uh, and so I noticed that um, they, they know who to, to educate, they know what to educate on, they know why to educate employees. But when it comes to the how, it, it, it falls over. It's, it's disgraceful. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think they, they're almost invisible to them, the how. And what I see is I see maybe some seminars or webcasts put together with a load of bullet points and a load of technical jargon and... And, and, and it fizzles out. And I think that what happens then is the employees go away with a with a poor experience of the whole thing, and then they tell others that. Mm-hmm. And also, if someone, when they're very young, has a has a painful experience with their financial education, yeah, when when's it, when are they going to go back for the next one? Never. 
It's yeah. got to be a positive experience. They've got to come out of that excited about it, mm-hmm. um, with good ideas, more confidence, mm-hmm. ideas to take action, and also, really importantly, to tell others in the workforce, you need to get involved with it. Yeah. And so for me, it was about the how. That was a bit that was missing, the missing link. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's how we communicate those things to make it effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so... How can employers kind of use your books, uh, your book, to implement an effective like financial education strategy? Okay, so I was with a, a um, let's say it was a, a games company, an, an IT games company recently, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and um, I met this wonderful lady who mm-hmm. really wanted to improve the financial literacy of the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were younger because they're very creative young people, programming and building computer games and stuff like that and and what I was very impressed about with her was that she really really tried hard to make it work mm-hmm. but you know her role is in HR yeah and she's not been in communications or in sales or in marketing mm-hmm. and you know what that's the important aspect of it yeah. and so she was inviting people to get involved with things and then get really frustrated when they didn't show up yeah and then when they did show up they weren't that bothered about it mm-hmm. and it was because of the the promotion of it mm-hmm. was it needed work and also then the delivery of it needed work mm-hmm. and so um, I think what what she wants to do she's got the book and what she wants to do she wants to get her team together and work through that book and how they can apply a lot of the I mean basically the book was built out of us making mistakes and putting them right yeah you know you ter- turn a mistake into a unique process mm-hmm. and you, you use that as a lesson as long as you don't do it twice you know mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. then it's part of the process and so what she's going to do she's going to sit down with her team and look at every step and stage of the way of their financial education program mm-hmm. and apply some of the practical ideas and solutions mm-hmm. to their own process in there mm-hmm. now it might be they decide some people oh, I'm hoping well, you know people might turn around and say do you know what we don't think we're ever going to be good enough at this, but we now know what we don't know, mm-hmm. um, and, and they might invite us in and have a chat to us. You know, yeah. but at the end of the day, a lot of companies can't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. So there are very simple, practical ideas in the book. Um, there's some invisible stuff in there that people didn't even know exist, yeah. but they can apply that literally, physically, straight away, immediately to their to their work and to their employees to get a much, much more effective outcome. Okay. Do you also think that uh, your book is useful for employees to use, kind of? If, if they do want to go, approach their employer and say, you know, we need more, do you think it's something that they could also pick up and read and then go and suggest to their employer? I'm not, I don't think so, no. no. I think it's very much focused at the employer. Mm-hmm. I tell you who would benefit from it, mm-hmm. other people in my industry, yeah. and they are interested in it. Yeah. So it's really designed for employers mm-hmm. to say, okay, how do we help our employees learn this stuff in the most effective way? Yeah. Um, but also I've noticed other people in my industry, again, very well-meaning, good, bright people with experience, yeah. Yeah. taking some of this stuff and using that to, to enhance their own proposition and their own client experience. Mm-hmm. And some employees have given it to their um, advisors, mm-hmm. to their to their financial educators, mm-hmm. and they said, look, why don't you some of these ideas? Some of them have given it to them now, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that's brilliant. And, and I think there's enough work out there for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they want to use that, and, you know, the good news is that the profits from the book go to a good cause anyway so um i'm I'm very happy with that yeah Yeah. it's great um so you spoke a little bit earlier about kind of changing the conversation from it being a negative one to a positive um how do you think you can kind of have a conversation about debt management that makes it more positive 
yeah, well, every, everything in finance seems to be negative. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I, I think it's awful that a lot of presentations are around what can go wrong and all the bad points and the downsides and the risks and all that sort of thing. I think what it does, what, what people don't realise in my industry is they leave people in a negative frame of mind. They leave them, they leave them a feeling of, of, of negativity and of pain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. There's, there's, two, there's, there's two primary motivators in life, and one of them is pain and one of them is pleasure. So we do whatever we can to get out of pain and whatever we want to to go towards pleasure. The, the strongest motivator is avoiding pain, and yeah. that's the, from our survival instinct through evolution. You know? mm-hmm. When we're communicating stuff, we can use the pain to get attention, but we mustn't leave people there. What we have to do is we don't want to... What can happen when you get it wrong? If you, if you just cover off lots of negative things and you leave people in such a bad state, they're actually... They're, they're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. They, get, they don't know where to turn. They feel overwhelmed with so much to do. Mm-hmm. So every time we touch on a negative, we very quickly must move to the positive. Mm-hmm. We must move to the solution mm-hmm. because that's where they need to spend their time. And, and I'll tell you what, people want to make decisions for positive reasons, not to avoid negative ones. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really healthy place to be. So, so for example, one of the hardest things we have to do is to try and get high-earning, busy people into financial education. Yeah. And they've got all sorts of challenges with, with all sorts of taxation on pensions issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they're so busy um, do, do, doing what they do well mm-hmm. and making the money, you know, but they don't realise how much they're wasting. And so what I noticed that in order to get their attention, you have to be quite strong and almost quite shocking with your communication in a negative way just to get their attention. Mm. So, like, you know, listen, you know, come along to this webcast or you could end up with a, an extra tax bill of £13,000 next year. Now, that's quite negative and strong, mm. but it does get their attention. Yeah. And then you say, what we're going to do, we're going to go through some information which can help you minimise, mitigate, eliminate that problem. But doing nothing about it, you know, is, is, is not good. Mm-hmm. So we always have to say, here's a, here's a problem. But in terms of the whole process, using negatives to get attention is brilliant but then you need to spend most of your time in the positive, whatever the subject is. Mm-hmm. And if it's debt, if it's um, inheritance, if it's buying a property, mm-hmm. there are challenges with all those things, but we then get their attention on it and then talk about practical solutions yeah. and leave them there. And then they come out of that feeling positive. Yeah. They come out of that feeling liberated and, and rather than um, beaten up. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, you want the, and people want to go and shout about... You know, we, we talked earlier, me and you, before we started this broadcast... Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a, a music festival. Yes. You know, yeah. and, you know, I, I came away with a very positive um, attitude towards a particular festival, even though it was only one band that finished the gig and it was brilliant. Yeah. I came out on a high with this, because yeah. one particular band was fantastic, but the other 90% of the bands I've never heard of. Yeah, yeah. But you still managed to hang with the I kids. still... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, the final section of your book, you kind of cover uh, kind of some tips on how to find um, a good attributes to find in a good advisor. Do you think there are any that you could share with us right now? Yeah, so I think with financial education, one of the things we've noticed is that um, in, in, in the process that we've developed in, in, in the book is that um, we have to, there's certain key things we have to do, which is, we, we, you know, if you're going to use PowerPoint, for example, you don't want to use bullet points, you need, you need pictures. You need to get the, the presenter, um, the educator, to own the slide and know the meaning, and the picture just becomes a way of helping make that point, mm-hmm. but he needs to own, or he or she needs to own that point to, to explain it. Mm-hmm. So the process is really getting people aware of what they need to know and then to educate them. 
Mm-hmm. But what we've noticed, there's a whole bunch of people, once you've educated them, you actually put them into a place where now they now know what they they need to know. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that before. Mm-hmm. But suddenly they realise, actually, they need to do something about it. Yeah. And so probably 90% of them do not need to go and seek financial advice. No. They just need to do something. It might be to save more, clear off a credit card, mm-hmm. consolidate, mm-hmm. Um, put more in the pension, um, ring up their employee assistance program. So there's things they can do beyond the financial education. Mm-hmm. But there is about one in 10 who would benefit from financial advice and it's quite hard for them to afford it or find an advisor. Mm-hmm. So some firms are quite happy to have an advisory firm in there. Mm-hmm. So the attributes in there was to help make sure that we have a very fair advisor in there. Mm-hmm. And so, so there was a, like about 10 key attributes of those, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or what to look for in a financial advisor mm-hmm. so to help employees pick them so if they're talk, so advisors come selling their services all the time mm-hmm. so they could be used like a checklist yeah. so right number one number two no, t- tell me about your position on that yeah. and one of the key things is they're a reasonable size that if they're massive you tend to lose the heart and soul and, and, the, and, the, and the sort of uh, relationship mm-hmm. they're too small you've got to think about systems and control so one of the key things on that is I said well make sure they, they've got somebody in the, in the business who has got control function 10 which is the response for compliance, oversight, um, systems and controls, and it sounds dull and boring, but it means there's someone that, that is accountable for the firm who, mm-hmm. who, who, who monitors and manages the the, um, the the advisors. Make sure they've got a process that's 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 understandable and a set charging structure so that everyone knows what they're paying. Um, and one of the key magic things that people can do, they, there's something on a lot of uh, retirement products called advisor charging, not a lot of people know about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if fees seem expensive to get some advice, mm-hmm. advisor charging is a way of making it easier. So you can reach out to more people who would want advice and and so if, it's a, if, it, if there's a fee of £750, mm-hmm. they can't afford it, it could be taken out of the pension scheme. Mm-hmm. People think that's, that's gone. It's not. Yeah. It's, a, it's a set amount, but it comes out of a, a gross pension pot rather than from net pay. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so the, the good thing about the 10 points is just to use them as a checklist. If you're talking to an advisor, yeah. just to double check you've got a good one that's going to look after you, support the staff, mm-hmm. they've got, they're ethical, they've got the, 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 they're customer-centric. Then the checklist is a really great way to, to do some due diligence on them. Yeah. So, uh, Darren, in your book, you have a lot of ideas that you've kind of picked up in your very long career. Um, so, is there anything in particular that you wanted to share with our audience today? Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of things we could uh, we could yeah, talk about. Yeah, um, one of them, I think, is sometimes you've got to do things in an old-fashioned way to get a result. Yeah. So, one one of the big problems facing financial education programs going wrong is in the, the, the invitation process getting people along to the events and you know what we do nowadays we communicate via email mm-hmm. and email's great we all open them but if we see the emails a bit spammy or a bit standardized um we don't necessarily doesn't necessarily go in and, and a lot of people um sometimes they just stop seeing them after a while mm-hmm. we do get hundreds and hundreds a day you know mm-hmm. and in the old days it was letters letters in the post so one of the things we've learned um, is to actually to get the financial education program on somebody's radar so they notice emails is actually to write to them at home mm. so 
and what, the reason it works is there's something in the brain called RAS, the reticular activating system. Yeah. And what it does is, it, for those that don't know, what it does, it filters out all the, all the messages we don't need to be aware of right now. So, for example, you know, um, you're not conscious of the sensation of your clothing touching your skin, but now I've just mentioned it, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you buy a new car, you know, you go out and about and you suddenly see it everywhere. Yeah. Because before you never really noticed because you didn't need to notice, but now you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we like to do, if we write to people at home, when they, 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 they pick up a letter, and if, especially if it's handwritten on the front, it's signed by somebody senior, it's addressed to them personally, mm-hmm. that goes in, that is much more likely to be read outside of the normal work environment. We tell them there's going to be some emails coming, if the, if the financial education programme or the benefits package has got a brand, you can, you can weave that into it, mm-hmm. and you put the financial education programme firmly on their radar mm-hmm. so, so you're triggering their reticular activating system mm-hmm. next day they come in there's an email about it they're much more likely to engage with it and read it and follow it through and register for something you know mm-hmm. so that's one trick an old fashioned trick Let's where, where it's practical and possible not always especially big firms um, but to um, write to them at home and, and introduce the, the thing as the initial starter is to introduce them uh, via, via, via the post the other thing that I think that um, is a really useful tool is storytelling. Yeah. Now, the most engaging um, presenters out there and speakers, mm-hmm. they tell a series of stories. Mm. Um, and human beings love a story. And what they do, it makes them engage with that particular speaker because what they want to do, they want to hear the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways we can benefit from that. Actually have stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned my story about the 19-year-old chap. Yeah. You know, and you want to know what the happy ending was. Yeah. So, we are, so what happens is the audience are engaged with what's coming next, what's the end of the story. So I, and I, I use lots of stories where I use stories about my mother, mm-hmm. um, my um, kids, my mm-hmm. grandmother, mm-hmm. And, and, and they're real-life stories, but they're all relevant to that particular point. But people mm-hmm. want to hear that in that way, much rather than learn a technical jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way of storytelling to help is when you use imagery on slides. So if you imagine that you have, for example, an image which is not in the middle of a slide, it's right at the top left, and there's an, an 80% of the slide is just white. Mm-hmm. So when people see that there's, a, there's an image right at the top left, they're now expecting something else to fill the space. Mm-hmm. So, so that is a story in itself. They're curious. They're asking questions. They're waiting for either that image to move to the centre or for something else to come into it. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it creates something called visual cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So they can see it, okay? They're talking about it in their own mind, but they're slightly confused and they're yeah. looking for answers. So they want the end of their story. So where possible, I always try to turn a bullet into, a, into a, an image Mm-hmm. The presenter knows what they're talking about, but leave something. Sometimes on a, on a slide you might have a timeline, and people then know that it, they can expect it to, it's going to go somewhere, so they want to then follow that story through to the end. So storytelling, real-life stories, or using, um, in NLP and, and psychology it's called anchoring. You're, you can anchor people to certain images and mm-hmm. spaces, but, um, mm-hmm. but really what it is doing is a story that they're looking for the happy ending of. Well, um, I think we have covered most of everything that I had kind of wanted to go into without giving away too much, because obviously um, most everyone out there should, well, most of the employees, employers out there need to go and get this book, as well as those who are in this kind of sector as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming in today and discussing with me, Darren. And, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I look forward to uh, kind of seeing you more and hearing more of uh, everything you have going on. Okay, thanks very much.